Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And let's start the show by making the listeners jealous. Uh, we work for a company that views the Monday after the Super Bowl as a holiday. So we had the day off. Uh, I, for one, can think of nothing more American than that. Uh, John, should, should the day after the Super Bowl be a national holiday for everyone? And if so, if we have to trade in a holiday... Which one do you feel we should give up? Uh, Eric, I, I bet we're only a couple of years away from the Super Bowl being played on President's Day weekend. Uh, it just makes mm. too much sense. Uh, add two more games to the regular season or or one to that and one more weekend of playoffs. Uh, uh, by then, I assume the players will be outfitted with some sort of Iron Man style uniform. So injuries won't be an issue anymore. And uh, wait, I think. Am I reading too many comic books? I'm starting to wonder <laughs> for that answer. I just realized. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're getting rid of injuries, uh, no matter how we uh, okay. approach it. But I, I'm with you with the the idea. I hadn't even thought about bumping it back to President's Day. I was thinking maybe we move President's Day up. Um, but either way, that that seems like a pretty good holiday to sacrifice. It's right there in February already. Uh, uh, if not that. I could easily give up Columbus Day. I wouldn't miss that one. Uh, no offense to the, you know, Christopher Columbus <laughs> heads out there. Uh, uh, I, I, although I should note, I don't think I've ever had a job that gave you President's Day or Columbus Day off. Those are just days off from school where the parents still have to work and are, and are screwed on child care. Yeah, just to be clear, that was Eric who uh, wanted to do away with Columbus Day. Not John, <laughs> that was Eric. Okay, we can move on. Now. All right, all right. Yes, I will uh, anger the uh, the pro-Columbus crowd. I've seen that episode of The Sopranos. I know who I'm messing with here, but <laughs> so be it. Uh, so thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 26 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 25 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. We recommend that you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also leave us a five-star rating. Neither John nor I are Uber drivers, uh, so we might never get another opportunity to receive a five-star rating for anything. So this means a lot to us. <laughs> Amen, Eric. Amen. Uh, also coming up a little later on the podcast, we'll be speaking to Ben Fox. Uh, he's the editor of ESPN.com's Chalk Vertical, and he co-authored an excellent oral history that ran this week on the Las Vegas Super Contest. So we'll talk to Ben about that article and more. But first, there's there's a lot of news to cover in the gambling world once again this week, so let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. As always, we have three stories we're going to cover this week, and we have to start with the Super Bowl, uh, where the big losers included the L.A. Rams, anyone who bet the over, anyone who wanted to watch an entertaining game, and as we learned Monday morning, the sports books in New Jersey and Rhode Island. Uh, in New Jersey, on betting handle of just under $35 million, the books lost a net $4.5 million, largely because the action was much heavier on the Patriots, who won the game and covered the spread. Uh, and in Rhode Island, which of course is big-time Patriots country, the books lost $2.35 million on a mere $6.5 million in handle. Uh, meanwhile, in Nevada, which is obviously much closer to L.A. than to New England, the books came out comfortably ahead, winning $10.7 million, though the handle was down from last year, dropping from $158.4 million to $145.9 million. So there's a lot to analyze here. Uh, the TV ratings for the game were way down. So is this a case of a game the, the public just wasn't into and that affected both viewership and betting? Uh, and, and how much do you think the boringness of the game had an impact on in-game betting volume? 
Some good questions, Eric. Uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to digest all the numbers, but I think the Las Vegas handle was down because nobody cares about the Rams, and everybody outside of New England uh, is tired of the Patriots. Um, you know, the Rams just don't have uh, a story so much. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's no there's a young coach that's vaguely interesting, but there's no real compelling drama to hook in the very casual fan. And I got to see this guy's last game, or I heard about this, you know, unusual situation. There just wasn't that much there. Um, I'm not dazzled by the Jersey handle. Uh, not only does it not seem as if all that many East coast whales decided to low oh, Atlantic City's close enough to Las Vegas and it's less of a, a ride. And, uh, I, I, I'll skip Vegas this year. I don't think they did. Uh, and you have to wonder how many others remain loyal to their friendly, uh, well, usually friendly neighborhood bookies. <laughs> right. Uh, and for TV purposes, yeah, the, there, there wasn't that compelling story, as I said. Um, and while everybody, uh, usually finds out how their first touchdown of the game play fared early on, and that's a very popular uh, bet, obviously, in the Super Bowl. I hear you waited three-fourths of the game to know, so it's tough yeah. to double down on nothing to double down on. <laughs> uh, and then for Rhode Island, those legal Pennsylvania sportsbook guys have to be laughing. Uh, first, the Eagles win last year before they could get a chance to get pummeled by the local bettors there, and now they get to see their Rhode Island uh, sportsbook operator counterparts, run by a bunch of Patriots fans, I suspect, gain a Pyrrhic victory. Uh, and uh, kids, Google that if you can. Well, I guess if you can spell it, you wouldn't have to Google it. So uh, just ask somebody if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. You may you may want to do text to speech in order to uh, go. Google it, so you don't have to worry about the spelling. But um, yeah, yeah. For the record, I uh, I made one uh, bet on a first sc- to score a touchdown, uh, and it was on Sony Michelle. So that one did pay off for me, though I had to wait a while. And I also had Sony Michelle for a first half touchdown, uh, so that one uh, did not pay off. But yeah, um, I think your analysis of of the Rams and uh, just people not being passionate about them and, uh, you know, them being an L.A. team without uh, a big fan base. Uh, I think that certainly played into it. I think Patriots fatigue played into it. I think there are a lot of casual bettors who don't want to bet on the Patriots because you don't want to have to root for them. But they also mm-hmm. don't want to bet against the Patriots because you feel like they're going to burn you if you do. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah all, all that stuff factored in. I mean, what can you say? It's a bad result for the East Coast books, but they will come out ahead in the long run. They need to realize that and use this as a marketing tool. FanDuel couldn't wait to tell the world that betters beat them for $5 million. I think that's the right attitude. The The public doesn't usually win. So when it does, use the opportunity to spread the word about how easy it must be to beat the house. Oh, yeah. In the end, they'll, they'll do just fine. Yeah. And one additional note, uh, there are usually some fun betting stories that come out of the Super Bowl. Uh, I have my own that we'll get to uh, when we're discussing our bankroll later. But uh, my favorite this year is the better who put $250 on the Rams to score exactly three points at 400 to one odds and won $100,000 at South Point in Las Vegas. What an insane bet to, to think the Rams would score three points in that game. Uh, 400 to one wouldn't have sounded long enough to me before the game, but good for that guy. And with a makeable field goal with five seconds left in the game that they missed. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that, how, how close he came to uh, to losing it with, what, I get eight, eight seconds on the clock. Meaningless field goal, but wouldn't have been meaningless to him. Okay, next story. Uh, we've talked plenty the last few podcasts about the DOJ's new opinion on the Wire Act, and we've talked a little about some of the responses to it, including Pennsylvania regulators taking it very seriously and preaching caution and compliance to operators. 
Well, we have a new response to discuss, and it's definitely not preaching compliance. Uh, rather, New Jersey is fighting back against the DOJ. New Jersey Attorney General Gerbier Graywall wrote a letter to the DOJ on Tuesday objecting to the Wire Act memo, demanding that the opinion be withdrawn. Graywall had the support of New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and of the DGE's David Rebuck and of Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro as well. And making things extra interesting, New Jersey made a Freedom of Information Act request to learn about any communications between Sheldon Adelson, his lobbyists, the White House, and the DOJ, essentially saying people need to know if the new Wire Act opinion was influenced, as all of us in the industry assume it was, by pressure from a certain billionaire casino magnate and political donor. So what do you make of all this, John? Could the pushback from New Jersey lead to the new Wire Act opinion being withdrawn, or is it at least enough to ease payment processors' concerns? Yeah, Eric, I, I tweeted the other day that it seems like some people just like to poke the Jersey bear. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, uh, you might get mauled. Uh, remember, only New Jerseyans would have voted to defy the federal law against sports betting back in that 2011 referendum by a two to one margin, no less. You know, and only Jersey politicians would have fought for six years and then toppled that federal law on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court last May. Uh, and now a DOJ opinion gets all up in Jersey's business, you know, online casino, online poker, maybe even muddying the waters, even with casino and sports betting long term and in a few minds. Um, so now Jersey got its claws out. Uh, what's fascinating to me most is that on the most serious political and national security levels, we do tend to worry about a cover up because the stakes are so high and and uh, emails get lost somehow. And that's one thing. But but this, I mean, someone's going to risk doing uh, time for trying to withhold emails that show some unsavory but presumably legal footsie between a big donor and the Department of Justice. You know, I mean, I'm trying to imagine that jailhouse rap, you know, hey, what are you in for? Oh, I violated FOIA. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, I shot a man in Reno. It's it's a long story. You know. <laughs> So <laughs> the bottom line is I think we get some very interesting stuff on this down the road. Uh, as for payment processors, they always seem to be running scared, and I'm, I'm not sure this letter makes them feel any braver. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the payment processors angle. If, if they were concerned, I don't know that this changes that. Uh, the poking the bear part, it's sort of interesting. Uh, when I interviewed uh, Joe Brennan Jr. a couple of weeks back, uh, he was worried a di- about a different kind of uh, poking of the, of a different bear. He expressed <laughs> the opinion that that pushing back by New Jersey, which they were already talking about doing something to this uh, effect, was a little dangerous because by responding, it lends a sort of credibility to the whole thing that, that he felt ignoring it uh, because there's nothing to actually enforce in a Wire Act opinion uh, was a better way to go. Uh, but now that now that we're seeing what pushing back looks like and, and how aggressive New Jersey is being, they're going on offense uh, and really putting the DOJ and Adelson's people on defense. It does kind of feel to me like the right tactic, um, you know, wh- whether it really changes anything. Uh, we'll see, but I, I wouldn't be concerned that uh, that they're going to somehow make this worse for New Jersey the way that, that Joe Brennan seemed a little concerned about. Yeah, I mean, he makes a good point, but I yeah, I, I think this is fine. If anything, uh, it makes me wonder if um, DOJ would be even more reluctant to do anything because it's not clear that they're that any any right that anything's going to happen just because of that opinion. It may have been just mollifying a big donor and just uh, saying, well, are you happy now? I, I put this thing out here. Right. And when those lawyers really know it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't have the force of a uh, uh, judicial decision. So it's uh, it may be much ado about nothing. But uh, I want to see these emails. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, by the way, we should note that uh, former Arkansas Senator Blanche Lincoln wrote an op ed this week that some outlets picked up. Uh, it was, again, you know, warning about 
underage online gambling when we all know it's much harder to start an online account if you're underage than it is to gamble in person underage at, say, a Sands casino. Uh, but anyway, it was fun to see under the op-ed that the websites and papers carrying it included the disclaimer, quote, Blanche Lincoln works as a leading advocate for the coalition to stop internet gambling, a group bankrolled by Las Vegas Sands chairman Sheldon Adelson. So it kind of makes for a funny punchline for anyone who reads the article not knowing much about the author until they get to the bottom there and they, and they think they're reading a legitimate unbiased opinion until they get to the end. I'm always in the more information is better. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there were some wincing people looking at it. And, eh, do we really want to run this? But uh, I think that's the way to go. Run it and then say, oh, by the way, you know, if this if this matters to you, uh, this is another piece of information you need to know. And now let the reader decide. Yep. Okay, uh, let's move along to our final story, which concerns a state we haven't talked about much, uh, if at all, on this podcast. In Texas, a bill was introduced last Friday that would pave the way for sports betting, including online betting, to potentially start in 2020. But there's a wrench in the plan. The bill calls for a 6.25% tax on each bet. So if someone bets $100 on a game, they're spending $106.25. Would the sports books take only a tiny VIG or would they take a normal VIG, leaving the betters paying a huge VIG, basically a double VIG? Uh, either way, it seems destined to fail. And also, this is a bill sponsored by a Democrat in a heavily Republican state, so it might not go very far. So what do you think, John? Is this an encouraging first step toward legal sports betting in Texas or is the Lone Star State no closer than it was a week ago? Yeah, this one is, um, I guess, weird is the word. Um, usually you can figure out which lobbyist interests have fingerprints on the bill, kind of which who wrote it, really. Um, here I had to do a little research, and I, I think I've got it. Uh, There's a group called the Texas Association of Business, uh, and they want the franchise tax, that's the state's main tax on businesses, to be lowered. And you have to give up, or at least supposedly have to give up something to get something. And lo and behold, this group wants the new sports betting revenue to make up for lowering that franchise tax. So if anybody says, oh, can we afford that? Sure we can. We got this brand new money coming out of nowhere. Um, so, you know, in Texas, if Republicans supported this bill, it'd be possible, I guess. And, you know, I have just the fledgling lobbyists for them, too. Uh, Texas Dolly himself, Doyle Brunson. Uh, he recently <laughs> he recently retired, and he could bluff his this bill all the way through Austin, I would think. <laughs> there you go. Uh, especially if he comes uh, packing the way he used to in his younger days uh, as a road gambler. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that the introduction of this bill is encouraging strictly in theory, you know, just in a very big picture sense, the introduction of legislation uh, feels like a positive. But in terms of real application, I don't think this moves the needle. If you gave me 100 to 1 odds on Texas having legal sports betting in 2020, I don't think I'd bet it even at that price. Uh, But, you know, just the, the existence of the bill puts the scent in the air, gets people in Texas talking about it and thinking about it. So it could be the first step in a very long process that eventually maybe pays some dividends. Yeah, we'll, we'll revisit them in five years. As a <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We now welcome to the podcast a writer and editor for ESPN.com, and his latest piece also ran in ESPN the magazine. It's titled Picks, Proxies, and a $900,000 Barista Inside the Rise of the Vegas Super Contest. It's an excellent oral history of a fascinating high-stakes NFL picks competition, and its co-author joins us now. Ben Fox, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. 
So you, you got some great quotes in the oral history, but my favorite is from the poker brat, Phil Helmuth, saying, quote, <laughs> I also believe that if you entered 300 monkeys in a 3,000 player super contest field, there's a 9% chance that one of the monkeys would win, end quote. Uh, first off, what do you think of Phil's math and analysis there? And second, what were some of your favorite quotes or some of your favorite interview subjects? So uh, I'd say, you know, I don't want to go into the math with Phil. He's, he's much more of a master on that than I am. Um, but I, there is certainly a large amount of luck involved in the Super Contest. I think that's something that was hit on a little bit in some of the uh, interviews that I did. But a lot of people kind of came back to that, especially when you had this contest that was kind of in 2004, somewhere around 300 people. And then now, you know, some 14, 15 years later is 3000 people. There's just so many more uh, handicappers, so much more chance. You know, I think the record was 76.2% that somebody hit against the spread. Wow. Uh, there's just so much more variance that's going to happen. Uh, Phil Helmuth was one of my favorites, certainly. Uh, it's funny because I think the interview probably was like somewhere in between 15 and 20 minutes. And there were certainly uh, some usable stuff, some not usable <laughs> stuff. But it's always funny what boils down. And you're like, you know what? It was worth it because that was a great quote. Um, sometimes you have to kind of ask the different questions. And you never exactly know uh, where it's going to go. But he, he was certainly one of my favorites. Gotcha. And and do you have a prediction on whether a monkey will win the Super Contest uh, sometime <laughs> in the next five years? I, I don't believe, um, you know, the monkey's got to come up with $1,500 first. So <laughs> Good that point. Might be, that might be the tougher aspect. But, it, you know, if they just have to put in the picks and there's some sort of keypad, they, they got a shot. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you know, Ben, uh, uh, some people in the article uh, spoke about the importance of the of the media and raising awareness of the Super Contest, uh, helping it kind of go mainstream over the past several years. Do uh, uh, you have any particular take yourself on, on how big a role the media has played in this uh, boom for the Super Contest? So I think it's a, it's a large one. It was definitely something I was uh, cognizant of not to be kind of too navel-gazing um, because there was certainly a big component that was ESPN. And I think part of that was Bill Simmons. I think part of it was Chad Millman, right. um, who's now running the Action Network. And it was them discussing it. I think uh, that kind of put it on the map more in a national spotlight than it was before. But I think it really also was, as I know uh, Joe Fortenbaugh and others have said, it was kind of the also the time, the rise of social media and especially Twitter and especially gambling Twitter. And I think that's kind of the way as well that it started to spread, especially when you have this contest that is a little small and niche and you have to be out in Nevada um, to actually place the picks and all this stuff. Sometimes it's hard to get the word out. And I think, you know, everyone kind of operates in different bubbles. And certainly, you know, Vegas is a little bit of a bubble. And I think probably, you know, I, I would think they at some point thought the contest might be bigger than it was. And then once it kind of got outside and um, more people were exposed to it, it, it had all these different, you know, regions that it reached. I think that's kind of really where it expanded. But I would say it's a combination of the mainstream media and then certainly social media. So at, at the very end of the piece, your interview subjects touched on the likelihood of contests like this springing up in other states this year, uh, with some of them taking place online. Is there a chance that the super contest entrant number drops in 2019 because betters will have alternative options? It's a very good question. 
this was the question I kind of tried to ask almost everyone that I interviewed, mm-hmm. um, because I do think it's it's fascinating to kind of try and project forward. And one of the things, obviously, fun to do in oral history where you're talking about what happened, but also we're kind of at a point in time where so much of it is new and figuring out what is going to happen. I don't think that it will. Um, I think it will continue to increase. I think that it, it depends on the legality, and that's what a lot of people said as well, right? Whether, you know, if the super book expands to New Jersey and they have a super contest, is that going to be a super contest Nevada and a super contest New Jersey, or is it just going to be one super contest that is in all of the states that they are in? Um, kind of in the same way you see poker where you can pool, you know, same monies in different states. Um, I think that is the bigger question. We've also seen, like you guys know, you know, the DraftKings had their national championship a couple of weeks ago. Obviously some controversy surrounding that, but the general concept of the tournament um, as kind of another contest is something that is, you know, certainly going to be out there. I would think the Action Network and FanDuel and, you know, Caesars and just about everyone else is going to have some sort of contest because people like to enter small amounts of money and they like to win large amounts of money. And that's, you know, the same way as if you have a $5, you know, money line parlay that has 10 teams, people like it because of the potential payout. I think that's why they like the contest. So I don't see the super contest decreasing anytime soon, especially I think because, you know, not because my article's out there, but I think the word is out. People kind of know about it. And it's really just a question of, do I want to also pony up $1,500 knowing some of it is skill and some of it is luck and the field's really big. Right. And it makes me wonder whether a lot of these sites, assuming that everything, uh, you know, is, is considered legal and they can run a contest like this, whether there'll be some much lower price points available for a contest like this. I, that's, that's what I would think is that, you know, the 1500 crowd uh, might still be all drawn to the super contest, but, there will be other people entering like a $20 season long contest uh, as an alternative if they don't have the 1500. Right. And I I think that's one of the things that, you know, struck me in the story was just that the super contest has always been $1,500 and certainly in, um, you know, whether again, that was one of the funny parts. No one is exactly know when the super contest started, whether it's 87, (laughs) 88, 89, uh, somewhere around there. But it's always been $1,500. They've always had kind of the strict, you know, deadline. I thought, you know, you'd, you had mentioned one of the favorite interviews. I think Rosemary, um, who has been there forever, just kind of telling the, the stories about the 9-11 firefighters who were, you know, they, they didn't have a proxy. And so they were flying out from Chicago uh, every single week to put their picks in. 9-11 happens. Obviously, they have many, much more important things to deal with. And they didn't have anyone to put the picks in and she had to say, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, so, you know, while a sad story also speaks just to how above board kind of and, and strict the contest is. I think that's one thing that people harped on over and over, especially in the gambling industry. People want to know, you know, this is above board. I know what's going on. There's no shady business. And I think that's also why the super contest has stuck around for so long. Right. Yeah, and how about the Super Bowl handle? Uh, we've been kicking it around. A lot of people have uh, it dropping off in Las Vegas this year. Uh, you know, the rise have been pretty rapid and steady in the last six or seven years. And uh, I think 
just because those of us outside of Nevada are thinking, oh, sports betting has really taken off. And, and of course, nothing changed in Las Vegas. But uh, were you surprised that it dropped a bit? And, and why do you think that might be? I wasn't that shocked uh, that it did. I think part of it probably depends on who is playing. And part of it probably is you had some of that with uh, Better X and betting. Mm. You know, I forget how much he did, whether it's eight to 10 million, but, you know, it's, it's very rare that one person themselves is responsible for a <laughs> an increase or not. But, you know, if he only had, I think we had reported 3.8 million, and I believe the year before was somewhere between eight and 10, that's, you know, a, a, a big chunk of money that they don't have. I think some of it is also just Patriots fatigue and probably not as many Rams fans, even though it's the Super Bowl. Um, and some of it probably is just that year to year, Variance. I mean, for the most part, it has been going up. I was a little surprised, I guess, at the New Jersey number that it was, I think it was 34 million. Is right. that what they had for handle? But, you know, it is, it is also the end of the season. And in New Jersey, maybe, you know, some people, uh, obviously they won on the Super Bowl since the books lost, but I don't have a great answer, I guess, for why it potentially went down. I think there was a, you know, I know uh, Jay Cornegate had offered up a couple potential reasons and i think the patriots fatigue and some others were in there but i think it was just one of those things where it's it was close and i wouldn't take it as kind of a trend of the times that oh no it's been a successful season and then there was a little decrease in the super bowl all right. Great stuff. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Ben. Uh, all of uh, the listeners out there, you can follow Ben on Twitter if you aren't already at BFoxESPN. Uh, and definitely check out his oral history of the Super Contest if you haven't read it yet. Ben, uh, thanks so much for joining us on Gamble On. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. NFL season is over. We have no more picks to make. Uh, I would guess that our next picks competition will be when March Madness is beginning. We should be able to come up with some kind of picks game there. Uh, But between now and then, we're fully focused on the bankroll, and there are a lot of updates, including our biggest win in the six months or so that we've been doing this. Uh, First, two futures bets are now complete. We had $50 on Todd Gurley for NFL MVP at plus 1800. That's a loser. But we hedged that with $100 on Patrick Mahomes when he was plus 275, and that's a winner. So combined, those two bets won us $225. We also had one golf bet last week. John took a shot on Taylor Gooch at plus 950 to finish in the top 10. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, the, it didn't pan out. Uh, so, you know, that cost us $50. But at least now I know who Taylor Gooch is. So uh, there's a silver lining. Yeah, he's the guy who missed the cut last week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Now the Super Bowl bets. Uh, we had three winners and three losers. Let's go through the losers first. I put $105 on the over. I was pretty sure I was drawing dead on that one by the end of the first quarter. Uh, only overshot it by 41 and a half points. Classic case of glad it wasn't a points bet. 
bet there. <laughs> um, next up, John took a $50 shot on Rob Gronkowski at plus 900 to have the most receiving yards. He had a good game, finishing in third place with 87 yards, but that's still a zero for the bankroll, unfortunately. And I bet $120 on Gurley to finish over 30 and a half receiving yards. Funny side story, I placed a real money bet in New Jersey at slightly plus money that Gurley would have more receiving yards than Chris Hogan. Hogan had zero catches for zero yards, but Gurley had one catch for negative one yard, so I didn't even get the push. That <laughs> one hurt. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, under 30 and a half yards was a total loser. Uh, but now the good news. Uh, John bet $115 on Tom Brady to finish under 299.5 passing yards. We won $100 there as Brady finished with 262 yards. I put $150 on Julian Edelman at plus 112 odds to have over seven catches. That was already a push at halftime, and then he ended up with 10. So we won $168. And lastly, the big one. Two weeks ago, I told the world that the 50-1 to 1 odds at FanDuel Sportsbook on Edelman for MVP were too wide. I hope some of you took my advice. We bet $20 of our bankroll on it and won us a cool 1000 bucks. Julian Edelman, you are our hero. Uh, add it all up, and our bankroll goes from down $10 to up $1,158. We also have $760 on hold in futures bets, and I'll note that none of those are looking good right now, so we can't get too comfortable. Uh, but for the moment, we have a very healthy $10,398 available to bet. First time we've ever had more than our starting 10K available, uh, and you're up first, John. Oh, congratulations, Derek. That that bet, the Edelman bets, you you had it so reasoned so well. I remember thinking, this can't lose. I mean, it was it was. <laughs> that's why I figured it would lose. But uh, right, but it well, didn't. The, you won easily. And the key point is, it can't lose too much if you bet it tiny for a big payout. I was not expecting to win. I just thought the odds were too good. So, and I'll just note that in real life, you know, in addition to the twenty dollars of our bankroll, I put two dollars of real money at the same odds. So, wish wish I'd put more, but. Can't, can't, uh, was it look a gift horse in the mouth? Something like that. Uh, a hundred dollar win is a hundred dollar win. Right. All right. So this is my first try here. Uh, that five game golf winning streak of mine had been all about sensible value, right? Then I got flaky the last two weeks and look what happened. So let's get back to value play. Uh, I noticed DraftKings this week has a top 20 option, not just top, not just winner, top five, top 10, just sort of like win, place and show. Uh, top 20, I'm going 177 to win 100 on Australian Jason Day uh, doing just that at Pebble Beach this weekend. Uh, he's never missed a cut in nine tries there. And uh, five of those times he's been in sixth place or better. All I need is a top 20. So I like that one. Okay. Sounds good to me. Uh, as for my first bet, it's never too early to bet on next year's Super Bowl champion, right? I mean, hey, that's how Brad Feinberg got the Saints at 20 to 1, which he ended up uh, selling at the perfect time. Uh, and so I see a few teams in that same range near that 20 to 1 mark that I like for the 2020 Super Bowl. I've, I found three uh, that jumped out. The Colts at plus 1,600, the Eagles at plus 1,800, and the Bears at plus 2,000. Uh, I wouldn't put money on the Chiefs at short odds. I just don't think they're getting over that hump with Andy Reid. Uh, and the Rams are a candidate for a Super Bowl hangover. And uh, Brady and Breeze are getting older, so I don't love betting on the Pats or the Saints. Uh, but, you know, down in that 16 to 1 to 20 to 1 range, the Colts, Eagles, and Bears all feel like solid value. And we're going to make this bet a team effort. Uh, I want to put $50 on two of the three. And, John, I'll let you decide which two are the best bets. Which, which two of those three do you like? Hmm. Uh, Colts, I like the best for sure. Uh, that is interesting. Um, they they were they were 
so close this year to being a great team, but they weren't obviously either uh, regular season record and they didn't get too far in the playoffs, but uh, they're, they're close. Um, mm-hmm. I think the other one would be the bears at 20 to one. I, I don't think we know what Carson Wentz is. And um, uh, you know, for the Eagles to be rated a, roughly as, as solid as the Colts and bears, I don't, I don't uh, I'm not as comfortable with that, that QB. Oh, wow. You had to just uh, stick a knife through my heart there and pick <laughs> pick everybody but my team. But, uh, but you know, logically makes sense. I may I may put my real money on the Eagles, but uh, our bankroll money then 50 bucks on the Colts, 50 on the Bears. All right. And uh, my next bet, um, just in case my day pick goes down under. Uh, let's get that question. There you go. Uh, snare drum. Uh, I'll limit my... Uh, I'll limit my Steph Curry as NBA All-Star Game MVP pick to 50 to win 325. Uh, still would be a healthy payout, and uh, I don't want to risk too much of your Edelman money, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. A little $50 flyer there. And uh, speaking of the NBA All-Star Game, uh, that's where my next bet is coming from. You know, we have my Super Bowl futures bets that we just placed. Those will have to wait a year to be concluded. Uh, for, for my other bet here, I'm going with something that will wrap up just a few hours after this podcast post. Uh, since uh, tonight, Thursday, as we record this, tonight is the NBA All-Star Game draft. And LeBron James has the first pick uh, on FanDuel last night. Kevin Durant was the favorite to be picked first at plus 170. On BetStars, he was plus 700. Uh, and on BetStars, meanwhile, Kyrie Irving was the favorite at plus 150, whereas on FanDuel, he was plus 400. So feels to me like somebody knows something or thinks they know something or somebody doesn't know anything. I don't know what's going on with those odds, but I figure we may as well take a shot that one of them is right. Let's put $100 on Durant at BetStars at 7-1 to and $100 on Kyrie at FanDuel at 4-1, to and hopefully one of them is the first pick in this little draft. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Uh, thanks, Eric. Uh, I would just say that for those new to the serious Valentine's game, uh, you only have one week to go, so start shopping. Uh, Pro tip, there is no worse risk in life than betting on a kitchen appliance being a good top-line gift for the holiday. Uh, No, not even a cappuccino maker. Uh, Stick to the flowers and jewelry, kids. And until next time, gamble on.